0: Did you know that West Virginia is home to one of the oldest rivers on earth? Ironically called the New River, it is said to be older than the mountains that it winds its way through, all the while contrarily flowing from south to north. Welcome to the Lore of the South. Hey y'all, welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. We're in it. It's the spookiest time of the year. The time of year where paranormal TV is on nearly everyone's watch list, and we're all looking for a good spookier horror movie to watch. Last weekend, while producer Mike yelled at the TV for six hours or so, because of the foosball, and in the words of the Waterboy's mother, is the devil, I watched Midnight Mass. It was a slow burner for sure. Took about four episodes to get into it, and I will admit... I kind of figured out what was going on before the characters did, but I won't spoil it for anyone else. It was worth a watch. Just be forewarned, it's pretty dark themed, contains religious hysteria, and gets downright bloody towards the end. So on with our spooky season episode. I put a post out on social media asking if you all would like a murder mystery or a ghost story. Well, overwhelmingly, I got the answer, why not both? Y'all thought y'all might trip me up, huh? But I got y'all, and I only had to go to the border state of West Virginia to do so. Welcome to episode 27, Swearing in a Ghost. Elva Zona Hester was born sometime in 1873 to an unwed mother, which was a big no-no back then, named Mary Jane Hester in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. Not much is known about the pair's early life together, but Mary apparently was able to keep her baby, and she called her by her middle name Zona. In 1895, Zona at the age of twenty two would go on to follow in her mother's footsteps and also have a baby out of wedlock, though I couldn't find any mention of the child after that. Next we hear of Zona is a year or so later, and she's working in a shop. And this is where it's thought that she might have met the town's new handsome blacksmith. Y'all hang on to your seats for this name. Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe, though he called himself Edward. Edward was 35, Zona was 23, and they were in love, to the great disappointment of Mary Jane, Zona's mom. The pair married two weeks after meeting in October of 1896. There were a few rumors about town that Edward had a pretty bad temper, but no one actually ever saw any physical evidence of it. On a cold afternoon, January 23rd, 1897, Edward hollered for their neighbor boy, Andy Jones, who also did all jobs for the shoes, to run down to the house and see if Mrs. Zona needed anything from the grocers before he went home for the evening. Andy went down to the house, looked in the window, and saw Zona laying at the foot of the stairs, stretched out with her hands crossed over her stomach. He went in and called out to Zona. She lay completely still. Andy then ran next door to his mother to tell her what he had found before heading back to the blacksmith shop to fetch Edward. Shoe raced home, seeming to be terrified at the thought of his wife might be injured. Dr. Knapp reached the Shoe home about an hour later, where he found Edward had moved his wife's body to the upstairs bedroom, and he sat at the head of the bed, cradling her. Shu had also washed and prepared Zona's body for burial. He dressed her in her favorite burgundy-colored dress that she had been married in. He'd also dropped a veil over her face, though Knapp would later say he thought he could see a bit of bruising there. When Nap was unable to revive the young woman, Shu insisted that the doctor not disturb her internal rest. He continued to hold Zona in what seemed to be the protective cradle of his arms. Knapp, not wanting to distress the grieving man further, left, and listed Mrs. Zona Hester Shoes cause of death as everlasting faint, aka a heart attack, which he later changed to complications of childbirth because Zona had gone to see him earlier in the week, suspecting she was pregnant. Never forgetting the odd circumstances he found the pair in, the doctor left. A local carpenter provided the coffin. Zona was briefly laid out in the shoe's front room before burial. Her mother and others commented on how odd it was that Edward had washed and prepared the body. That was normally the job of women in the family, a long-standing tradition, in fact. It was also noted that Zona's head was propped between a pillow and a rolled sheet in the coffin. Edward had also tied a wide ribbon around the neck of his wife, claiming that it had been a favorite of hers. He sat in a chair at the head of the coffin and would wail wildly if anyone came close. After a brief visitation, the coffin was sealed and carried down to Seoul Chapel Methodist Cemetery, where Zona was buried on a brutally cold day, January 24, 1897, a mere three months after her wedding day. Mary Jane was convinced that her daughter had met with foul play at the hands of Shu. She never trusted the man, and she became determined to find justice for her Zona. Mary prayed every night that the ghost of her daughter would appear to her to tell her what had really happened. And one night upon waking, who did she see standing at the foot of her bed? But Zona herself, still wearing the burgundy wedding dress she had been buried in. On the first night, Zona said nothing, though her mother begged her to tell her what happened. The ghost of Zona's only reply was to turn her head in an impossible angle, like she had no neck bones at all. I picture the crookneck lady from A Haunting of Hill House. And then she disappeared into a mist. Zona would appear three more times to her mother, apparently with each visit growing in strength, and finally gained the ability to tell her mother what had actually happened to her. She told her mother that Edward had become violently angry the evening before she was found, when he arrived home to find that Zona hadn't prepared any meat for his dinner. He had then choked her to death and broken her neck, then placed her body at the base of the stairs and set it up so that he wouldn't be at home when her body was found. With what Mary Jane felt was confirmation of her daughter's murder, she went and spoke to Andy's mother, who had also seen Zona's body and asked if she had seen anything suspicious. She told her she remembered the bruising and that Zona's head seemed loose when she was placed in the coffin. Mary Jane then went to the county prosecutor's office to beg to have her daughter's case reopened. She met with John Preston for more than an hour and wouldn't leave until he agreed to look into the matter. Look into the matter he did. Preston also questioned the neighbor and took notes of Shu's odd and erratic behavior. He then interviewed Dr. Knapp. Knapp also recounted Shu's behavior, how protective he had seemed of the body, how he'd refused to allow the doctor access to determine what might have ultimately led to her demise. Knapp also relayed to Preston that he was sure that he had spotted some bruising around Mrs. Shu's neck. But with how distraught Mr. Shue was, he hadn't investigated further. With this new evidence, John Preston was able to get permission to exhume the body of Elva Zona Hester Shue, a mere 29 days after she was first laid to rest. Her body was carried to a nearby schoolhouse, where a three-hour autopsy was performed by Dr. Knapp. Upon examination, he found that her windpipe had been crushed and that the vertebrae in her neck were snapped. There were also large, fingerprint-shaped bruises that encircled Zona's neck. This was no everlasting fate. She had most definitely been murdered. Preston immediately called for the rest of Edward Shue. Even with only circumstantial evidence, fearing that Shue might be a flight risk. During his time in jail, it came to light that this wasn't Edward's first stint in a cell. Shu had spent two years in a penitentiary for horse theft. It also became known that Zona, in fact, was his third wife. The first one having divorced him, and the second having also died under mysterious circumstances. I'm going to tell y'all right now how wife two died, and we'll see what y'all think. She was helping Shu work on a chimney. He was on the roof building the chimney stack. She was on the ground loading a basket with stones to be hauled up to Edward. When somehow a rock dropped directly onto her head, striking her dead. An awful accident or was it brutal murder? Shu also began to talk. A lot while awaiting trial. A fellow prisoner retold a conversation he'd had with Shu. Edward had told his cellmate he was sure to be let go. There was no evidence against him. He also told how Zona was his third wife, and he knew he'd have at least seven before it was all said and done. Does that sound like a grieving widower to you? Preston, building his case, went to a nearby town and interviewed Shu's first wife. She told how he was brutal and how he would beat her mercilessly nearly on a daily basis. Though all of his evidence still seemed circumstantial, Preston felt he had a good enough case to take to court between the autopsy eyewitnesses to shoes odd behavior at his wife's funeral the mysterious and bloody death of wife two and his known violent temper one thing preston didn't plan on introducing into evidence was the testimony of zona's ghost the trial began on june 22nd 1897 preston's star witness was mary jane hester zona's own mother preston never mentioned the ghost only a mother's intuition and a wanting to find justice for her murdered child. Now, to the defense, on the other hand, they tried to make Mary Jane's story into a circus. They tried to make her out to be a hysterically distraught woman, but they failed. Zona's mother kept her composure and told and retold the story of her daughter's spectral visits over the course of those four nights. Upon the adjournment of the jury, the judge instructed them that they must not take into account the testimony of a ghost, but only the evidence provided by the living. The jury reconvened in an hour's time and unanimously found Erasmus Stripling Trout Shu guilty of the murder of his wife. He was sentenced to life in prison, but it doesn't end there. While Shu was being held in the county jail awaiting transport to the pen, some of the local men got together and formed a lynching party but the sheriff's deputy on duty caught wind of it and hid Shue in the woods while he talked the would-be lynchers down. Shue was soon transported to the state penitentiary in Moundsville, though he only survived a couple of years into his sentence. He died March 14, 1900 in an epidemic that overtook the prison. Today, if you visit Greenbrier County, West Virginia, you might come across a historical marker that was erected in honor of Zona and her ghost. The marker reads, interred in the nearby cemetery Zona Hester Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. How was that? Did I do it? Not only a murder mystery, but a murder mystery solved by the ghost of the murder victim herself. I think I nailed it. And my only side note here is sometimes it's a good idea to listen to your mama. Sometimes she does know best. Also, how awesome was Mary Jane, a single mother in the late 1800s, who later faced down a county prosecutor to get justice for her daughter? Not to mention, keeping her cool while being interrogated by a hostile defense. I hope y'all enjoyed this ghostly murder mystery. If you did, how about leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing us with a friend who might like a spooky story now and then, and be sure to follow us on social media for pics to go along with the stories. Just search for Laura the South on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can email the show at laurathesouth at gmail.com. And with that, we'll talk to y'all later on Laura the South.